0: Hello, everyone, welcome to the Deeper Waters Podcast. I am Nick Peters, your host, giving you the very best Christian scholarship and apologetics, and today is no exception. We are talking about a topic a lot of people probably don't really like to talk about, but I think my guest here doesn't mind talking about it because it's such an important one That's death. Not just what is death and such, but how do you handle it? What happens when you know your time is coming? My guest is Dr. Bruce Baker. He's a he's a pastor of Washington County Bible Church. But I think he's retired now in Brenham, Texas. He's suffering from a terminal illness. He holds a Ph.D. in systematic theology from Baptist Bible Seminary, Clark Summit, Pennsylvania. He was for many years a Bible College and Seminary professor and has taught in more seven countries on four continents. Like Ezra revote, he has set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it and to teach his statutes and ordinances. Dr. Baker, welcome to the Deeper Waters Podcast.
1: Well, thank you, Nick. It's a pleasure to be with you.
0: Now, if my audience doesn't know who you are, tell us a bit about how you got to be doing what you're doing.
1: (laughs) Well, that's a a difficult question because it depends on how you define doing what you're doing. Right now, uh, I'm retired uh, because of health reasons. I was uh, diagnosed with uh, ALS in August of of, uh, 2017. And um, since that time, uh, my health has, of course, degenerated and um, I was uh, diagnosed with several different diseases prior to that. That's not uncommon when you have ALS to have several wrong diagnoses first. And um, uh, But uh, they finally diagnosed me with that. And when they diagnosed me, they said, uh, well, we're pretty sure you will live six months. You could live a year, uh, 18 months at the outside. Well, I've beaten that so far, uh, God helping me. Uh, But I'm still, uh, the prognosis hasn't changed. At some time in the undetermined future, the muscles that control my lungs are going to stop working and I'm going to die. And that's the reason I wrote the book that I wrote that um, actually got your attention, uh, For Thou Art With Me. Uh, biblical help for the terminally ill and those that love them. Because I was told that uh, my attitude was different than the other patients, that other patients come in and they're terrified of death and that I was different, that I'd laugh and tell jokes and be calm. And people wanted to know why that was. And so I wrote this book to try and explain it.
0: Now uh, You know, someone could look and say, where- yeah, you're calm and such, but that's just you know, denial. You know, you're you're just not willing to think about what's
1: happening. Oh, we think about it, all right. Yeah, yesterday, as a matter of fact, Bonnie and I, my wife Bonnie and I went to a local funeral home uh, to make arrangements and um, to uh, um, you know try and get everything that we could get out of the way ahead of time, out of the way. Uh, when we were when uh, George h w Bush when he died his funeral was near here it was just in a town a college station just a little bit north of us and they had these navy flyover jets I said that's what I want for my funeral I want navy flyover jets I don't think I'm gonna get it though but we we were making all these arrangements that was a joke um we were making all these arrangements for um, you know w- you know what kind of casket and all that kind of stuff. No, we're not in denial. We know what's coming. In fact, two weeks ago, I got very ill. And um, there were some people that were very worried on my behalf because I didn't have any energy and I wasn't talking very much. And uh, the, real, uh, the real kicker is that I wasn't interested in watching baseball. I'm always interested in watching baseball. Um, so, uh, you know, when they say you're in denial... That's an easy way to deny someone at peace. It's not, you know, you can't be at peace because no one in your situation could be at peace. Therefore, you're not understanding how things are, otherwise you wouldn't be at peace, and I reject that. That's not just not true. You can be at peace, if you know what God has promised.
0: But I'm sure if there is one aspect that troubles you, it's for one you just mentioned your wife not that you know you're you think your marriage is in jeopardy or anything like that but just cause you know it's going to be extremely hard on her.
1: Yeah that's the one thing that really does um, um, if I'm going to be troubled that's the area that's gonna trouble me I will admit that but it's uh, it's one thing to be sad and it's another thing to be worried. I'm not worried. I am sad for her. It's it's somewhat like uh, when Jesus, in John 11, when he went to the tomb of Lazarus, and he saw the people crying, uh, he wept. Now, he knew that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead in about five minutes. But in the meantime, he, he wept because of the um, all the... Uh, troubled people, all the weeping people around him. Well, it's the same thing. I'm not worried. I know that the Lord's going to take care of my wife. I, I have no question about that. But I am troubled. That does bother me. It does make me sad, just like Jesus was sad. But I don't think that's this quite the same thing. I, I met one man when I went into to do a treatment. And um, he's a nice enough fella. I liked him. But he was absolutely driven to find something that worked. He told me he couldn't get up in the middle of the night and go to the bathroom unless he stopped by his computer and did a search to see if there was any new breakthrough, any new uh, treatment that uh, that has come to light. He ordered medicines from India and Japan. He sent me videos on cannabis and nutrition that made extraordinary claims and he he, he just kept thinking there must be something. And I asked him, why are you afraid to die? And he denied that he was. He said he was thinking merely of his family and his children. But I knew that that wasn't the case. And the reason I knew that wasn't the case is he never talked about getting anything ready for his family or his children and so forth. He was just interested in not dying. And it's the fear of death that we can overcome that we don't need to uh, worry about.
0: I'm curious, though, if something did come along with pipe, say, the next few days or so that was a <laughs> cure or even some of the FDC that could be a possible cure for your condition,
1: would you be interested in it? Oh, sure. Absolutely. You know, death is always in the Bible viewed as an evil. and And there's no way around that. Death is an evil. That's why... Death is called an enemy. It's the last enemy to be destroyed. God is going to do away with death. In the meantime, though, until that happens, we we'll live with it. But, but saying that I have peace in the midst of death is sort of like saying I have peace in the midst of war. War is an evil. It always has been. It always will be. But you can have peace during it. To say that you have peace in death doesn't mean that death is good somehow. It, you know, so if, if they came along with a pill, you betcha, I'd, I'd be lining up. But I'm not going to be panicked if they don't. That's the difference.
0: So what are some things so we can say when someone does get a diagnosis that is terminal? Because, I mean, there are some things that you absolutely that's go both phrase. What are some things you absolutely should not say and what are some things you can
1: say? Well… <laughs> there's so many things you shouldn't say, I don't even want to try and start listing them off. You know, you, you know, I'll tell you what you don't want to say. You don't want to say you're sick because of your sins. That's the wrong, that's what got Job's friends in trouble. You don't want to do that. Now, it is true that sometimes we suffer because of our actions. That's true. If I've smoked a pack a day for 40, 40 years, then I shouldn't be surprised if I have COPD now because God is not mocked. Whatever we sow, we also reap. That's a true statement. But that's not necessarily the time to bring it up either. So there's a lot of things to not say. I think the one thing you can say, though, every time that someone receives a terminal diagnosis is that you've been given a gift. Now, most people wouldn't look at it that way. But the reason they've been given a gift is because everybody dies. The death rate remains one-to-one just as it always has been. Everybody is going to die. But when you receive a terminal diagnosis, now all of a sudden God is telling you, I'm telling you about when you're going to die. In other words, you have time now to get things ready to, to forgive. You've got time to be forgiven You've got time to get your finances in order. You've got time to say goodbye. You've got time to get right with God. You've got time. You've got right to do all those things you should be doing now, but nobody does. Because everybody, deep down in their heart, thinks that somehow they're going to live forever. Or at least they're not going to die tomorrow. But that's obviously not the case. I mean, uh, just yesterday or just this last week rather, Tyler Skaggs, a pitcher for the uh, Los Angeles Angels, died. They he their trays on the road with his team two days earlier. He pitched a good game. They go to his hotel room because he doesn't show up for practice. They find him dead in his hotel room. Nobody saw it coming. He just died. And that's not just him. You know, a um, drunk driver crosses the yellow line and there's people that enter into eternity without a moment's notice. There is the construction worker or the factory worker that grasps his chest and then falls over from a heart attack. Or there is the mother that's on the wrong side of a robbery and a trigger's pulled. All these things, and dozens more just like them, have all of one thing in common, and that was that there was no time. There was no time to do those things that should have been done. When God says, Bruce, you've got well, I'm going to guarantee you six months. You could live a year, 18 months at the outside. Now I know that I have that long somewhere in there to get ready and to do those things I should be doing all the time. And that's a gift. It really is.
0: You know, what I'm wondering about with all that, though, is that, you know, you talk about doing all these things that matter and such. And my wife and I are both big gamers. And I... We always talk about this podcast we heard, this video we heard with this guy talking about everyone playing this popular game all the time and saying, well, you know, you could be doing evangelism instead. And I, I keep thinking that when you talk about how you spend all this time realizing it that it could happen anytime. time, how does that mean we should spend our time right now if we don't have any of that in our future? And such that we see immediately I mean, should we be living in fear or anything is it proper for us to do things i mean you're doing things like watching baseball games and such i mean how, how how do you recommend we approach this
1: well i think what you're asking is this that does that mean because death haunts us all and it does that we should not have any fun no it doesn't mean that at all god gave us a world to be enjoyed We are to receive with thanksgiving the good things that God has given us. Now, of course, we're not to let them get out of balance. If all you do is sit and play video games, you've got a life that's out of balance. If all I do is sit and watch baseball, then I've got a life that's out of balance. So we don't want to do that. But at the same time, God has given us good things in this life to enjoy simply because he loves us. So we should do we should do those things because that's glorifying to God when we say, "I get to sit here in peace in my home and watch a ball game." I thank God for the opportunity to do that. That's, I think, that's perfectly legitimate. And on the other hand, we need to be sensitive as the Holy Spirit speaks to us about the things that we should be doing now. I mean, we always should be telling everybody we know about the Lord Jesus, although. We often don't. What's one of the amazing things about being sick, by the way? I've gotten to uh, minister to people um, that I never would have met. I mean, I I am constantly (laughs) surrounded, it seems, by medical professionals and VA personnel and this, that, and the other. I I told my wife, as long as I'm sick, I'll never be lonely. (laughs) So I've gotten the opportunity to share with them. About the Lord Jesus in a way that I never would have before. So in a kind of odd way, uh, this disease has expanded my ministry, not just through the book I wrote, but also um, through uh, the opportunity to meet and, and deal with people I wouldn't normally do uh, deal with. Hi, this is Justin Briley of The Unbelievable Radio Show and Podcast, recommending another podcast to you. Nick Peters is a deep thinker, a friend of mine, and he has an inspiring faith, so you should listen to him and his excellent guests on The Deeper Waters Show. So keep going deeper and keep getting uh, wetter, I guess. Blessings, Nick. Keep up the good work. You
0: know, I think it's interesting where you start seeing the... The diagnosis as a gift and I think that could apply across the board. I mean my wife has a number of psychiatric conditions and I think anytime she gets a diagnosis then we can say you know this is ultimately a good thing because now we know something about what's going on here we we can better be able to treat the condition and such.
1: Well, I think that we might want to, I I understand where you're going. I think we might want to rephrase it just a little. Um, I don't consider my terminal diagnosis a gift in and of itself because it's an evil to say, well, you've got a psychiatric problem. That's a good thing. No, it's not a good thing. It's an evil. On the other hand, though, God has the unique ability take those things that are evil and change them so that the results will be good so we can always look for how god is going to use our current circumstances in order to bring about what is good and he does that that's there's no question about that
0: you know another example like that that you might think is more fitting and such is that when i was in Bible college. I made a very really good friend who told me about a seminary if I end up going to with him later on. And, uh, he calls me later on. We're still in touch this day. We just talked on the phone a couple of weeks ago or so. And, because he knows I have Asperger's and such. And, he says, Nick, I'm, uh, I'm in a rough situation right now. I think, I." Uh, we just found out that my son was diagnosed with Asperger's. What do you think I should do? And he said that he asked many people for advice and such. He says mine was the best advice to give because he said when he talked to anyone else, it seemed like they said they were practically saying, "Oh, your kid's got cancer or such like it was some terminal illness that everything's over now and such." And I said, "Well, first off, you get on your knees and you thank God." Because now you are going to get to see the world through a whole new set of eyes as you consider how it's going to look for your son. And you think about that and you learn to look at the world through those new eyes and you will see things you've never seen before.
1: Well, that's certainly true. That's certainly true. We go on and we act as if uh, our lives, we say my life in the same way we say my computer or my desk it's, it's not the same. I find myself in this body without my prior consent. I can be ejected from this body equally without my approval. Um, this life is not mine as far as belonging to me. It, I have a stewardship to a certain degree over it, but uh, it doesn't belong to me. And so God can bring these things into our lives that, oh, shed a whole new light on the circumstances around us and the way we should live our lives. And uh, and that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. That is a good thing.
0: Fans of the show know that Gary Habermas is a friend of mine and I, I owe a quite a deal to him. And uh, one of the things that he specializes in, the thing he specializes in most, is resurrection. And he's talking about when his first wife, Debbie, died of a thing was pancreatic cancer at a very young age. And so she said his students came up to him and said, at this time, aren't you thankful for the resurrection? And he'd say, I, I had to smile for two reasons. Number one, my students were using my own teaching against me. Number two, it worked. What difference does Christianity make to you at this time?
1: If you travel overseas to non-christian heritage nations what i mean is like uh, to india for instance where even though not everyone you know i mean you can go to let us say uh the former soviet union and not everyone there is a christian by a long shot but there's still a christian heritage there so there's a general i hate to use the word mythology but Christian tradition that teaches certain things that people will at least mouth the words in belief. There's a background Christianity Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yes, absolutely you go to India. That's not the case. It's Hinduism and um, getting off the wheel of life and uh, There's no resurrection of the body you come back in a different body you come back as an insect or a, a cow or you know, whatever when people mourn there they mourn entirely differently than they do here. They cut themselves with knives and they wail and they fast and they, because there's no hope ever of seeing um, that lost loved one again. Whereas in Christianity, with the resurrection of the body, there is that hope of a great reunion sometime in the future. In fact, I was just talking, I had some a uh, former student of mine come to visit me. It was just such a blessed visit. Came all the way down from Iowa uh, with their children. And the children were talking about something. And we began to talk about the resurrection of the body. And um, it was it's quite a powerful doctrine. It's unlike anything else in any other religion is the resurrection of the body. Because death is the end for, well, no, that's not true. For every religion, there's something after death. It, it, it varies from religion to religion, but every religion has something that happens to you after you die. That's true. But the resurrection, the resurrected body where there is a reunion, that is unique to Christianity. It makes a huge difference. Mm-hmm.
0: There are some times that I've seen what I call funeral faux pas about risk. And it seems like we're not taking the topic of resurrection seriously enough when this happens. I'm going to use two examples I've seen in my lifetime. I was here for, for both of them. And one of them was when my grandmother passed away. I was one of three ministers assigned to do her funeral. We each got up and spoke for about ten minutes and... Then at the end, I closed by being a master of ceremonies. Everyone got up and got to share memories about my grandmother and such. And but I won't forget that her pastor was one of that spoke there. And there he is. Uh, he's up on the pulpit area and such. Her caskets down there. Everyone can see her body and such. And he says, I want you all to know right now she is experiencing the resurrection. And I'm sitting back there, I'm thinking, um, excuse me, Pastor, I'm sorry, but I think I see her body down there still. Or maybe it's just me. And then the second one was when I had an aunt pass away. And when the pastor came back, it was one of the worst services I'd heard, because he talked about, you know, I came back from my vacation just to do this funeral. I I don't care where you came back from. This isn't about you. And my wife knows how I was sitting there thinking, he hasn't mentioned resurrection. He hasn't mentioned resurrection. And then towards the end he says. But then you know. We all think about that blessed hope. That Paul wrote about in First Thessalonians 4. And I'm leaning forward. Yes yes say it say it. And then he says. That we will see our loved ones again in heaven. And I just slump back. Immediately. Does it seem like. Both of those are missing something about resurrection.
1: Well yes. First of all the the i'm sure the pastor meant well and he was trying to um, trying to provide some comfort for grieving people and I'll commend him for that but the comfort that he gave was a false comfort because he was saying well it's going on right now you just can't see it well i can see the dead body there but he's describing has not happened now it is true to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord that's true it's true that we will be in paradise with Christ prior to the resurrection that's true but there is no but when it's when he says something that's demonstrably false that's not helpful because there is a dignity to this body like I said when I went to uh, the funeral home they asked me about this and that and what are my wishes and I kept stressing to them, I want to do it this way because the body has dignity, the dead body, because it's going to be raised. It's not raised yet, but it will be. So that's the problem with the first one. The problem with the second one is, yes, there is a resurrection day coming when uh, Christ returns with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God. But interestingly, in 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 through 18, There is nothing at all said about a reunion. It is said that thus we will all be together with the Lord forever. That's true. But the glory of the resurrection is not that I get to see my friends again. The glory of the resurrection is we get to be with God. God is the sum of all perfections. He is the greatest of all conceivable beings. Merely being in his presence is glory. Um, and that's why when we see the the eternal city described for us in Revelation 21 and 22 um, you see that it's the glory of the Lord that is the light thereof oh sure there's streets of gold and all that but that's not the emphasis the emphasis is that we have a beautiful city because in it dwells a magnificent and beautiful God and I think we lose that sometimes um, yes I'm, I'm not when I When I'm in a resurrected body and my wife is in a resurrected body, we're not going to love anybody. We're not going to love each other any less than we love here. That's true. But the love we have for the Lord will be so much greater as to not even to be compared. Um, So I think that, um, again, a lot of people just don't put the time in necessary to understand the resurrection. Um, it's, it's It's a wonderful thing that we're promised very unique and yet a lot of people just get it wrong unfortunately
0: yeah I think it's very interesting to read about with heaven there about God being the main deer there and such cause I think a lot of us look at the topic of heaven and we often think seeing loved ones again and oh yeah God's kinda of you know if you like that kinda of thing and such like, like God's an afterthought to heaven
1: well, you know, when I watch baseball, I can I can always tell you what's going to happen based on what just happened. What I mean is this. If a guy gets up and there's a strikeout, they don't show a replay. Or he grounds to second and it's a routine play or uh, there's no replay. Let him hit a home run into the upper decks. They will replay it and replay it and replay it and replay it so you can get it, watch it from every angle and they'll show you the exit velocity and the launch angle and all of this stuff they can do with computers now. And the reason is is because we love to see perfection. And when we, when we see that, and you're especially you're in a room of fans and everybody's watching, nobody is thinking of themselves. Everybody is involved outside of themselves on something that's going on, and when they see that wonderful thing happen, they forget about themselves. It is otherworldly experience in one respect, in that you don't think about yourself. You only think about, wow, wasn't that great? Well, when we're in the presence of God, it will be the same thing. We'll be looking at God, and we'll say, wow, isn't he great? There's nothing like him. Let's see the replay over and over again for eternity kind of thing. simply because his perfections are so magnificent that we can't even imagine how wonderful it is. That's that's the thing about that. We see a glimpse of it here on this earth but only a glimpse. Nothing to be compared with what it's actually going to be like to be in his presence. You know when uh, Peter, James and John were on the Mount of Transfiguration peter like me always had to be running his mouth i i i I received that from peter and it leads to a rough life but peter because he had to have something to say you can't just be quiet he said lord it's good to be here let's build a booth let's build three booths one for you and one for moses one for elijah what strikes me as interesting is he says it's good to be here It's good to be here. Now, they weren't in heaven. They were on a mountain. But they saw the Lord's glory. And when they saw his glory, even for a second, the first thing he says is, it's good to be here. And that's what it's going to be like when we get to, and we see the unveiled glory of God. We're going to be like Peter, it's good to be here. Not because we're with our relatives, although that's good. Not because we're free of physical pain, although that's good. Not because there'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things have passed away. That's good. But it's going to be good to be there because God's there. We are going to have, as A.W. Tozer said, an eternal preoccupation with God. And he's absolutely right.
0: Well, I'd like to remind everyone at this point you're listening to the Deeper Wireless Podcast. We're here with Dr. Bruce Baker. We're only going to go an hour today due to his condition, such being aware of his health needs and things like that. Next week, you're not going to hear anything because we got events going on. My wife and I are actually going to be going to Comic Con in Atlanta to get rock kind of some something to celebrate our anniversary later on this month. And then the next week, I'm still working on that. But we will have something for you. I'd also like to remind you all: everything we do here is supported by listeners like you, and I encourage you to please go on, uh, go on. Uh, my website at uh, com, and make a donation here, and uh, to do that, you just you look on the side, it says, help support work of Deeper Waters Christian Ministries. You make your donation there by going to the website, and you actually go through Risen Jesus, so the ministry of my in-laws, Mike and Debbie Lacona, they collect for us, but you go there and you make your donation, it's tax deductible. I mean, you can get in touch with me or Ali or Mike or Debbie and say, "Hey, I made my donation. I went go to Nick Peters. I went go to Deeper Water's. We will give that donation, and it will be tax deductible. You can also buy some ebooks that I've written or co-written. Um, Written, A Creed for the Ages, The Apostles' Creed, and Today's Christian. Co-written books like Defying Inerrancy, Contextualizing Inerrancy, God and Natural Disasters, Christian Answers for This Generation's Questions, and Groundless. And if you can't do any of these, please go on iTunes and leave a positive review of the Deep World podcast. I really love to see those when they come up. Now, uh, Dr. Baker, do you have uh, any organization or charity you'd like to see people donate to? Well, yes.
1: First of all, I'd love to see uh, people um, buy my latest book. It's called For Thou Art With Me, Biblical Help for the Terminally Ill and Those That Love Them. Nearly everybody knows somebody that could use this book. So I think that would be really valuable if you do get the book and you read it and you like it. Um, If you buy it through Amazon or uh, whatever, if you could leave a positive review that would be great. Advertising is so dreadfully expensive that um, we really depend upon word of mouth just like your podcast does. Uh, also, there's um, my, uh, we have a 501c3 charity, my wife and I called Becoming Mature. And uh, for years and years I went overseas and taught uh, the pastors some theology because there was no schools they could go to or attend. And that would help support uh, the ongoing ministry that we have in Africa, um, where my son now, uh, who's an ordained minister, he goes and he teaches in my place. And that's a very important ministry for us. If you wanted to give to that, that would be great. Becomingmature.org.
0: Now, Pastor, sometimes when people go through this, uh, there can be, and even if you're not going through this kind of thing, I think you can understand there are some people that can have sort of anger towards God in all this, whether the ones going through it or they see their loved ones going through it. What do you say to someone like that?
1: Well, the reason they have anger is because, again, they view God as being unjust. In other words, this is my life. You don't have the right to treat me thus and so. You don't have the right to take my life from me. Now it's just plainly not so. Again, my life is a misnomer in and of itself. And God has the right, <clears throat> the right to demand our lives from us at any given time. And we need to recognize that. And if we don't recognize that, we're just not thinking correctly. Um, but I think also anger can often be... A manifestation of fear. Every religion, interestingly, has four things in common. It doesn't matter if it's monotheistic, polytheistic, um, spiritistic, animistic. Pick one. Doesn't matter. They all have four things in common. First, they believe that there is a higher power or powers with which we are into a relationship that we're born into and we can't change. Second, that higher power or powers makes demands on our lives, and we either obey to our blessing or we disobey to our cursing. Third, and this I think is very important, between ourselves and that higher power or powers, something is wrong. In other words, every religion, again, doesn't matter the type, every religion makes an explicit appeal to, To man's sense of sinfulness. And then, fourth, every religion assumes that there is a state of being after this life that is affected by what you do in this life. Now, those four things, now, the way they solve those problems, or, you know, that varies. But they all have those four things in common. When you believe that there is something between you and God that is wrong, that was the third point. And that what you do in this life affects what happens to you after you die. That's the fourth point. Then there's reason to be afraid. What's going to happen to me? I don't know. That's why Shakespeare and uh, Hamlet said, talked about death being the undiscovered country and how it makes cowards of us all. Because nobody comes back. Well, somebody does. Jesus does. But when we take our loved one and we put them in the grave, they don't come back and tell us. We have to rely on the revelation of God. So because of that, there's a great deal of fear in Hebrews chapter 2. The author of Hebrews tells us that uh, Satan has held us captive to our fear of death all our lives. That's true. And the only way to get rid of that fear of death is to get rid of that problem between ourselves and God. And the only way to do that is through the cross of Jesus Christ and his resurrection from the dead. And then we no longer need to fear what happens after we die. But I think a lot of that anger is just manifested fear. Does that make sense?
0: It does. At the same time, is it always necessarily wrong? Because it does show up in the Psalms, for instance. You find the psalmist very upset about what happens.
1: Yeah, That's an excellent point. You're exactly right. The death of the cords of death entangled me and pulled me to the grave, etc. Absolutely. There was a strong desire to live. And I think that there, that's true that we have this desire to live because we all know, like I've said earlier, that death is an enemy. It certainly is. So I don't want to get rid of that at all. I always want to stress that. Um, but notice that the psalmist is never angry toward God. He is, he is crying out to the Lord to rescue him from the cords of the grave. So that's the way you respond. In other words, the, the idea of saying death is coming and it's an evil, is that wrong? Absolutely not. You're just thinking right when you think that way. But to say God is wrong in doing this, that's the problem right there. When, church, you know, when I first got ill, I uh, made a pact with myself that I would not sin with my lips in charging God with error, as it said of Job, that he didn't do that. I said, by golly, I'm not going to do it either. So uh, God helping me so far, I have not, because God is right in doing this. He has the right to demand my life from me. Before I take my neth- next breath, he has the right to take it from me. So we have to think correctly about that.
0: You know, as someone who deals with projects issues on a regular basis. <laughs> ones I can come up often, for instance, is the idea of the uh, God of the Old Testament and such and how he seems so vengeful and things about that sort. And one of the first questions I usually ask you when this kind of topic comes up is okay, what does God owe anyone? And really the answer is nothing, with one exception, i say. If God has promised us anything he does owe that because he's going to keep his word but everyone that no god doesn't owe us anything
1: well that's true but i i always get just a little miffed when i hear people say you know the vengeful god of the old testament and all of that that's uh that's just a, a a terrible misreading of the old testament You know, the standard way to describe the character of God in the Old Testament is that he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. By my count, which I'm fairly certain is not complete, but by my count, I see at least 10 times that formula or some variation of that formula is used to describe God in the Old Testament. When when Moses says, show me your glory, uh, he, God puts him in the hollow of the rock, and he declares his name, the Lord, the Lord, the gracious and compassionate God. You know that's that's the way God wants to be known. It's true that He has a, an anger against the wicked. That's true, but we see that in the teachings of Jesus as well. The reason we know as much about hell as we know is because we learn it from the lips of Jesus. That's where we get most of that doctrine. So I, again, I just go back and say, you know, you're not, you need to go back and reread the Old Testament because it's true that God deals in vengeance with those that hate him. In fact, that's the key right there when um, when God says that um, uh, he visits the iniquity of the sins of the fathers on the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Why Why is he visiting these sins? Because they hate him. How many generations? Three or four. But he shows love to a thousand generations of those that love him and keep his commandments. And the emphasis is here, how about his wrath? Three or four generations. How about his love? A thousand generations. That's the emphasis we need. That's the contrast we need to see. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger abounding in loving kindness that's what we need to learn from the old testament hi this is mike lacona i've had the privilege of being on the deeper waters podcast
0: with nick peters several times over the past few years nick is one of the finest interviewers on the internet today he's well read and asks the type of questions that bring valuable insights for his listeners so if you want to get great information from top-notch scholars in a concise package the Deeper Waters
1: Podcast with Nick Peters is where you need to be.
0: Now, I, I want to get to this part definitely. You might come back if we have some time after this discuss discuss several issues, but this is one that's kind of near and dear to my heart because I'm actually married to a suicide survivor. <laughs> and one of the questions that comes up in your book is a question of, why not assisted suicide? Because you know, you know, you're going. You got terminal illness. It's not going to change. Why not just go ahead?
1: Well, it's an excellent question, particularly if the person's in pain and so forth, and they and they reason exactly as you laid it out. They say, you know, I'm going to die anyway. What difference does it make whether I do it this week or two months from now? And the answer goes back to a topic we've already touched on: whose life is it? It's not my life to do with as I please. God has given me this life; it belongs to Him. He is the one that owns, that holds the key of death. So um, I say that assisted suicide is wrong. First of all, because it's not my life to do with as I as I please; it's God's. Second. If you look at the um, the Sixth Commandment, you shall not murder. What is very interesting about that commandment is that it doesn't have an object. In other words, it doesn't say, you shall not murder someone else. It just leaves it open. It doesn't matter who we're talking about. It doesn't matter if we're talking about you. You will never murder. You will never take the life of a human being Um Because you want to. There are reasons to do that. That's why the idea for there is murder, not kill. There's a difference. But uh, you never murder. So if you commit suicide, you are breaking the Sixth Commandment by murdering yourself. Now, that being said, somebody is laying in the hospital bed and they're in pain. Should you just let them suffer? And I argue no. No there is a difference between assisted suicide and um, termination of care. In other words, there is nothing that says I have to take that next round of chemo. Nowhere in scripture does it say I have to undergo yet another operation. It never says that ever. That's your choice. You can if you want to but you don't have to. Plus uh, I think it's completely legitimate to prioritize uh, pain relief over longevity. In other words, when my father died of pancreatic cancer, um, the pain was going to get worse and worse and worse. And of course, we had him hooked up to morphine, as is the standard medical practice at the time. And he was squirming in bed. It was clear he was in a pain. And it had gotten to the point where we recognized if we turned up the morphine We would keep him out of pain, but he would probably stop breathing shortly afterwards. And we made the decision to turn up the morphine. Now, was that assisted suicide? No. It was not our goal to kill him. Our goal was to prioritize the treatment of pain. I think that's very legitimate. I think assisted suicide is when you say, we don't want him to live anymore, or he doesn't want to live anymore. So let's take actions to kill him that's different from saying he's in pain we know he's not going to get any better let's prioritize the treatment of pain and let what happens happens i think there's a a huge gulf between those two that that needs to be recognized
0: i think we call it a difference between passive euthanasia and active euthanasia
1: i don't even like that term though i mean i understand what you're saying right and and it makes a It makes it, um, it it certainly is clear when you say it that way. But uh, the idea of, as far as I was concerned, we were not euthanizing my father, passively or actively. And the reason was because uh, our goal was not, suicide is when you try and stop the normal bodily functions from going on. In other words, I am going to intervene and stop those bodily functions from continuing. No, that's that's forbidden. But to get in and say I'm going to treat pain and I'm going to take as my number one priority the treatment of pain, that's not that doesn't have any idea of euthanizing in it. That's just recognizing that there are side effects to every medicine. This is one of them. See if you see my difference. Yeah. Distinction.
0: Now, some people might say, "In I'm." pretty sure right now, what you're going to say. Some of you are going to say, well, this is what we do with our pets. We actively put them down. Shouldn't we treat human beings with the same dignity?
1: That's an excellent question. Excellent question. And the reason it's an excellent question is because, look, everybody that's ever had a pet mm-hmm. knows you begin to love those silly little animals. You know, I got a great big old Great Dane here in my house. Uh, Nicky's as dumb as lettuce. He really is. <laughs> but uh i you know love this goofy dog now the difference though is this when you go back and you look at the creation story god created the animals and god cares about animals it's very clear in the scripture the righteous man cares for the needs of his animals but the kindest act of the wicked are cruel if you if you're a righteous man you care for the needs of your animals that's true you don't muzzle the ox that treads out the grain in fact in uh at the end of Jonah, when God is saying, look, why did you just make it look? They've got all these people plus so many cattle. The cattle are important, too. So animals are important, but there's a distinction. Only with man did God breathe in the breath of life. We are created in his image or as his image. I think is a better translation there. We are created as his image where the animals are not. So when I uh, put down an animal, uh, I recognize two things. number one that no reasons assigned to a human being for pain can be assigned to an animal An animal can't be bettered by pain as far as its character goes. It can't uh, deserve the pain because it doesn't have a sin nature. so therefore I, I can't I, letting an animal suffer there's no need. Sometimes when people suffer it's for their betterment. Um, you look at, in fact, I was just reading in my Bible study today, uh, Manasseh is carried off to Babylon, and when he's suffered in Babylon, that's when he returns to the Lord. He was bettered by that suffering. But second of all, um, we're created in the image of God. In fact, the uh, capital punishment is commanded in Genesis 9-6, whoever sheds man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. Why? So that other people won't go out and murder? No, not at all. For in the image of God has God made man. In other words, an attack upon another human being is an attack upon God by proxy. So that's why there's a difference between animals and people. Because we carry the image of God and they do not.
0: So what would you say to a person out there who is undergoing this kind of thing right now, who is going through this suffering? And what would you say in turn to their loved one who's watching them go through it?
1: Well, that's a hard question to answer because there's so many different circumstances, but I think we can see in general this, that regardless of what your eyes tell you, the character of God has not changed. He is still gracious and compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. That remains true. Sometimes these things happen um, because God loves that individual so much that he's going to put up a fight and say, uh, I want you to come to me and this is the only way you will come to me. How many times in the Gospels do we read of someone coming to Jesus because they're sick or because their loved ones are sick or because their loved one has died? We see that over and over and over again. The Philippian jailer would not have come to Christ if he hadn't thought that all the prisoners had escaped. Trouble comes sometimes to bring us to the Lord. And ultimately we would say, yes, the trouble was worth the benefit that it brought. So that's one thing. But second, I would say, not only is God loving in doing this, but that this is not haphazard, that God has a plan. Now, we might not know what that plan is, but God has a plan. There is a good reason and purpose, and the best thing for you to do is to submit yourself to the will of God. Even when you say, God, I don't understand this at all, and it hurts, that's a legitimate prayer. But it's also legitimate to say, I submit myself to you, and I'm going to trust you, even when I can't see the end of the tunnel here. That's what we do. You know, at the end of the book of Job, uh, God says to Job's three friends, he has spoken rightly about me, and you haven't. Well, what has Job said rightly about God All the way through the book of Job, Job is saying, you know, God, I don't see your justice in this. How come I can't see you face to face? But then at the end, he says, I clap my hand over my mouth because my eyes have seen you and I loathe myself. You're righteous. I'm not righteous. So I'm just going to submit myself to you. That's the righteous way of looking at it. Mm -hmm. I would also tell them, um, (laughs) buy my book. Mm -hmm. I know that sounds self-serving. But I deal with all these kind of questions within my books, not a long book. It's, I made it short on purpose with short chapters because I know myself, I uh, don't have a lot of energy. Um, but uh, I, w- I would tell them to do that because there they're going to find the answers. That I mean, ultimately, the answers are in the Bible, but you got to know where to look. This is kind of a guidepost to help you find out what God has to say about this.
0: And is there anything you recommend that they be doing specifically in these times oh, when, you're reading your book, oh, when you're reading your book, which I'm going to tell people how they can buy soon?
1: <laughs> Good man. Um, well, yeah, there are certain things they should be doing. For one thing, if they're not going to a Bible-believing church, they should be. They should be going where the Word of God is taught, not necessarily where their friends go. But, uh, or where their family is always gone. But they need to go where the Bible is being taught and where the pastor can help them. You know, God gives us pastors in order to help us through times like this. So I think that's one thing they should be doing. Another thing they should be doing is getting in the Word and praying. You know, things happen because we pray that would not happen if we didn't pray. It's just the way things are. So I... I People ask me how they can pray for me. Can we pray for your healing? And I go, well, you can. I think the God that uh, can heal me is also the God that could have stopped me from getting sick in the first place. But I think it's more important that God gives me energy, that God gives me a biblical character so that I can witness to other people in a, in a good way, that the Lord would be glorified in my death. There's a number of ways that they could be praying, but I think prayer is so important because you don't get through this without prayer. That's just the bottom line. You just don't.
0: Well, Pastor Baker, I'd like to thank you for taking your time to come on. And who knows, maybe if you get your next book finished in time, we can have you on for a second time to talk about. Matters. I would love that. <laughs> I, I would too. Uh, do you have any uh find, Do you have a blog, or website, an email way people can get in touch if you if they want to find out more?
1: If they go out to becomingmature.org, becomingmature.org, they can get in contact me uh, with me there through the website. Um, or I don't have a blog or anything. I did at one time, but um, I'm busy writing another book, uh, As the Lord Gives Me Strength, on the attributes of God so people can understand God better. And I'm throwing all my efforts and energies into that right at the moment. But uh, it's not hard to get a hold of me through that or if they go out and buy my book and they say, gee, I forgot where that website is. Just write Grace Acres Press and they'll make sure that whatever you send will get to me.
0: Yeah, and for those interested, the book is um, For Thou Art With Me. It's a biblical help for the Termini era and those who love them. And right now, as of recording on Amazon, it's the paperback is eleven ninety five. And there is a Kinder edition of Airborne for $4.99. So, uh, Pastor, uh, thank you for coming on. Hopefully, you will get that book finished, and we will see you back here again sometime.
1: Thank you for having me. It was a real pleasure.
0: Dr. when uh, I am, at, I'm not going to be here next week. I'm working on the show for a week after. For now, I'm Nick Peters, and I'm signing off.